0: This bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. It's a bad fish. It's not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy This sharp swallow you little Shaking, tenderizing, down you go. And we gotta do it quick. I don't bring back the tourists, so that'll put all your businesses on a paying basis. But it's not gonna be pleasant. I value my neck a lot more than three thousand bucks, Chief. I'll find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. And you got to make up your minds. You want to stay alive and ante up? You want to play it cheap, be on welfare the whole winter? I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's too many captains on this island. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that, you get the head. Hail, the whole damn thing.
1: Episode 74 of the Cult of Matt and Mark, Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. Make sure to visit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Show news? Any show news this week?
2: Uh, is there a, Oh, yeah. I wanted to give a shout out uh, to the uh, NSA saying, oh. we over here at the Cult Matt and Mark, we love... <laughs> and uh, various... Uh, uh... Yeah. And what? Wow. Well, and... uh so, you know what? Halo. Uh,
1: sadly, um, why this is a surprise, we're talking about the whole PRISM investigation where there's some uh, NSA code out there, snooping servers of all our favorite internet portals and all that goodness. I wish I gave a shit. Man, dude, I wish I gave a shit. I, I have this opinion of, as everybody... Uh, you know, we have this entitlement to privacy, everybody thinking they're more interesting than they really are. And then they all get up in arms about like having, you know, I, I know that I know the issue is bigger than that. And there's a lot of ins and a lot of outs. But, uh, as somebody who's had the government up my ass for going on 14 years now, I so don't give a shit about it, this story.
2: How far has it been up your ass? Cause you just stopped talking. Oh my God. <laughs> the NSA just, I mean the, uh, what is the name of
1: NSA. I say, yeah,
2: know. they just shut yeah. us down. That yeah. was that was us loading our podcast, our live stream into their uh, servers. Oh,
1: I wish I cared. I, I, I so <laughs> wish I cared. I don't. I'm sorry. I know you do, and you're probably really angry about it and all that. But, well,
2: I uh, think it's I think it's pretty outrageous that the government can just snoop all the information and comb through it. And you know, it's working real well. They caught those fucking Boston bombers before they had a chance to uh, yeah, I know. blow shit I up. Know. They didn't even pay attention to the fucking Russians saying these guys are dangerous. You know the thing is, there's just there's no point of the government doing this. It's a, it's a waste of money, and it's not even constitutional. Uh, it just blows my mind that uh, Black Jesus can go out black there and Jesus. say it's for everybody's good. And you know, <laughs> fuck you, Obama. I voted for you, but all all your politicians yeah. are just a bunch fucking assholes. You know, yeah. rarely does anything get me sort of upset, but this gets me a this gets me a little miffed. Mark is fired up. This gets me miffed. Mark's fired
1: up. Uh, I I, I wish I could share in your rage, but I am exhausted from rage over the past. uh, I think the Bush years tapped me out, made me a political nihilist and uh, non-ideologue, and I could just give a shit anymore. But I I understand. I'm with you. No, it's outrageous. It's it's
2: fucking outrageous, and uh, nobody's going to give a shit. And that's the (laughs) most outrageous part about it. So, uh, oh, if you're listening Marcus, to this NSA, you know go fuck yourself. Mark's outrage. Uh, that's about Me- it.
1: I I know we need to get to the movie, but I've actually visited the NSA museum in Fort Meade, Maryland once. I had some time to kill. And, Did you piss on it? Uh no, I didn't really care. Uh, you know, again, but uh, I had you have to, to go to the museum. You have to drive up to the front gate of the NSA and then hang a sharp left right before you get to the guardhouse. It's really unnerving because you get there, and around the NSA, there's all kinds of black suburbans parked uh, conspicuously about, and you get there, and I drove up there once, and you take a left, and then you kind of circle around to the museum, and there was a guy in a suit up against the chain link away from his vehicle, and his vehicle was totally butterflied. All the doors and hatchback was open, and you had uh, guys in black fatigues, and Jack boots, like going through his car and he was in a suit. I mean, it was really bizarre. I I was like, what the fuck? And then, uh, so yeah, that's my, you know, this is, this is the
2: most dangerous thing about government is its ability to sort of be above the law. And I think this is what, this is what all the right wingers that hate big government and Obamacare and all that. This is sort of what their big fear is. I mean, I hate corporations probably more than I hate this, the danger of big governments.
1: Yeah, well, they're more nefarious and they really run our government. So that's my.
2: But uh, point. but this is pretty dangerous. It gets out of hand all the time around the world, where governments pretty much just get their jack boots in there. But they put their uh, balaclavas on and they just do whatever they want. Yeah, it's it's worrisome. No, I'm
1: with you. All right. Well, let's get to more uh, important news, which is our movie this week. It is Steven Spielberg's sophomore outing, I want to call it. Jaws, released in 1975. He was 28 at the time when he released it. Stars. What was
2: his uh, freshman? Outing. I
1: believe it was the TV film Duel, which I loved as a kid. I don't know if you ever saw it. Oh, that
2: was made for TV. We've talked about it before. Maybe we should. Maybe we should have picked this one, that one, as our uh, intro to uh, Spielberg. Anyway,
1: yeah, this is a, this is this is a worthy outing. Uh, so uh, it stars uh, very young and fairly unknown, Richard Dreyfus, uh, Roy Scheider, and uh, Robert Shaw. Plot rundown: One early summer night on fictional Atlantic Resort Amity Island. Chrissy decides to take a moonlight skinny dip while her friends party on the beach. Yanks suddenly below the ocean surface, she never returns. When pieces of her wash ashore, police chief Brody suspects the worst. But Mayor Vaughn, mindful of the lucrative tourist trade and the approaching July 4th holiday, refuses to put the island on a business killing shark alert after shark dines on a few more victims the mayor orders the local fishermen to catch the culprit satisfied with the shark they find the greedy mayor reopens the beach despite the warning from visiting ichthyologist hooper played by richard dreyfus that he that the attacks were probably caused by a far more formidable great white one more fatality later brody and hooper joined forces with flinty old salt quint played by robert shaw the only local fisherman willing to take on a great white especially since the price is right the three ride off on quint's boat the orca soon coming face st- face oh soon coming face to teeth with the with the enemy so face to teeth who the fuck wrote teeth. that i don't know uh, lucia bozala so go find them on the internet oh uh,
2: that right. reminds yeah. me i hadn't thought about it since i watched the movie that first scene some great silhouetted 70s floppy tits you like that oh, man i was like going oh there's gonna be some tits in this movie that's exciting Uh-oh. Uh-oh. and then there was none for the rest of the movie just uh, kids so- getting eaten
1: <laughs> so this was one of hollywood's first high concept films and high concept what? is a de-
2: high concept what high mean?
1: concept it's a definition that sort of eluded me for a while but to hash it out Whenever you talk about something at a high level, you talk, it's basically like you're talking to like uh, your CEO or your boss who isn't maybe technical in nature and you just want to give them a quick overview of what you're doing. I have to do high concept or I wouldn't call it high concept, but high level briefings uh, to customers that may not be. Well versed in technical background, which is the topic I'm discussing. So high concepts, the same thing. It's like an elevator pitch. Uh, the best one I can think of late was Snakes on a Plane. Okay, there's going to be snakes. There's going to be a plane, and there's going to be Samuel L. Jackson. And like, oh, okay, I get it. All right, all right, yeah. Go ahead, and make it. You know, so Jaws is the same kind of high concept. Uh, very simple, appeals to a wide audience, and sort of made it. Uh, One of the first summer blockbusters and set the whole precedent for the summer blockbuster season, uh, which is really something that's stuck with the industry for, I don't know, almost uh, 30, 40 years now, which is that whole summer blockbuster thing. And that's how it started. They did a wide release in a huge amount of theaters uh, where they used to just kind of release it in a few theaters, build some word of mouth, get some critical response, and then it would kind of blossom from there film-wise. But Jaws was the first just Blitzkrieg, you know, uh, Cinemaplex type of film. So so it sounds like
2: in addition to this high-concept idea, it's also the big mar- marketing push idea.
1: Yeah, and that's a big— So
2: really it was probably the producers that were behind it.
1: Uh, really I don't made this happen. I did a really cursory review of its production history. And Jaws has been kind of mulled over so many times that for the true fanboy who may be listening to this, I don't really want to get in a whole lot to a lot of the production history. Uh, it was a plague production. Uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, I guess, uh, in the words of George W. Bush, misunderestimated the uh, Misunderestimated.
2: Complex- yeah,
1: <laughs> the the complexity of working in a maritime environment, even though it was a fairly innocuous uh, Martha's Vineyard, which is surprisingly wor- warm enough water-wise that you can just go swimming out in the Atlantic, go- North Atlantic. I, I just find that bizarre. I guess watching this whole film, uh, that was one of the things that sort of blew my mind is that you could just get in a a bathing suit and go swim around on the beach in Martha's Vineyard, not go hypothermic in
2: The southern currents must ride up the eastern seaboard. I mean, I've only briefly been on the eastern seaboard, never, like, summered out there or anything like that. So it does sound really weird, because it must be cold as tits in the winter.
1: Well, I guess Martha's Vineyard, the bottom never drops below 35 feet, even out to 12 miles. So... Thirty-five oh, feet, so
2: it soaks, so it soaks up the sun like nobody's business.
1: Yeah, so thirty-five feet. I mean, if you want to talk about depth, if you were a fairly decent skin diver and could hold your breath, you could fin down to thirty-five feet, touch the bottom, and shoot back up. It's not that deep. I mean, it seems deep, but it's really not that deep. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, with the sandy bottom, it allowed them sort of a, uh, I guess, a fairly easy um, maritime environment to shoot at. But again, they, they weren't, um, what's the right word prepared for, uh, the issues that came along with that, like salt erosion. Uh, they think they made the, the shirt the 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 mechanical, was it when you use air pneumatic, is that the, is mm-hmm. that the right word? Yeah. Pneumatic, uh, uh, corrosion that occurred that, caused a lot of the mechanisms to fail on the shark Uh, i guess it was made out of neoprene at one time and that just kind of bloated the shark up and made it look weird and waterlogged so So, after
2: all this they realized that they needed a bigger boat
1: yeah more or less and it was such i guess a pain in the ass to use that mechanical shark that uh steven spielberg more or less went with uh, the effects that worked, and so that's why you don't see the shark in a lot of this movie, and that's why it actually yeah, works. Yeah, thank out God, because that
2: that rubber shark looks pretty stupid. I'm gonna yeah, be honest with yeah. you.
1: Yeah, well, and if you saw that all the time in the movie, it would be kind of a joke, and so it works. You, well you then, almost
2: see you almost see it too much as is in this movie. Right, right.
1: Yeah, you do. Uh, but I mean, you, I love
2: I love his technique where he uses the barrels. As a, as a way to represent the shark, which I thought was really pr- very impressive. Uh, I don't know whose idea it was, but it was a good idea. I wonder, I do think, they really use barrels for uh, catching big fish?
1: I don't know. I know that the Mythbusters. It's a great idea. The Mythbusters went through the whole. Uh, Barrel thing? Sh- yeah, they're short on myths these days. As if Jaws is a myth, they uh, do a lot of uh, movie stunts and show that. Whoa, whoa, no are you
2: saying Mythbusters is a bunch of bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> It was kind of interesting. It was
1: kind of interesting the first like three shows.
2: (laughs) Anyways, what were they doing? Were they actually seeing if a fish could pull barrels down?
1: Yeah, they were trying to figure out how much power, uh, or not power, force you needed to pull three buoyant air barrels below the surface, and it's ungodly. Like the flesh of the harpoon would have ripped out.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's... but you have to it, hook it around a bone or something. It There's worked, no well, bones in sharks.
1: <laughs> and they don't get cancer either, Rosen, for
2: me. I wasn't aware. Uh, I, don't know I why. have my doubts about that one. I think that's uh, probably a false assumption. They're immortal. They live forever. No, nah, no. Nah. As saying. we know, cancer is the price we pay for being multicellular. Uh, Any multicellular uh, organism, okay. including plants, are not free from it.
1: Really? They don't die of it, do they?
2: No, they get tumors. Yeah, they can die.
1: Really? Oh. I, yeah. Oh, boy. I don't know. I don't
2: feel sorry for the plants. I'm sorry. That's okay. Don't they don't feel know. sorry for you either. Uh,
1: so what was I talking about? Uh, oh, the barrels. Are you talking
2: about the, the barrels that you keep? there's no way a fish, even if you somehow like attached it in some supreme way to the to the shark's body that it could pull down.
1: I don't think barrels. you could even do that with like a humpback whale. Uh, it's just there's so much power you need to, to pull that.
2: Oh, out. I
1: don't know about that. I mean, that's they got uh, a lot of mass. Well, I, okay, You maybe. play the mass game. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. But that was actually worked for the better for the film because you just had more or less an avatar, a surface avatar for the shark yeah. uh, telling you where it was at and what it was doing. And you didn't actually see the shark itself, which yeah. uh, I think it's a felt, fucking
2: don't. great idea. And whoever came up with it deserves a big pat on the back. Maybe it was Spielberg. I like to think it wasn't because I don't like to credit Spielberg with anything. <laughs> wow,
1: You can't even give a twenty-year-old, 28-year-old Spielberg at this time any yeah. credit. I'm
2: going to be honest. This movie's got Spielberg's stinky direction all over it. He really stinks the place up at times. Okay.
1: Donna's. So Mark has never seen Jaws before, so this is a virgin outing for Mark. So did you like the movie for starters?
2: Yeah, I liked the movie. I would have liked it more with about 25 minutes cut out of it, I think. Okay, so you liked it. it? Really, was it was over long, especially the first half. You really needed to get moving. Oh, uh, you want to hear? Yeah. You want to hear the worst part of the film? Sure. I took a, I took a I took a clip which basically represents everything I hate about Steven <laughs> Okay, let's
1: curious. listen to it. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week, and you knew it. You knew
0: there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous But you let people go swimming anyway You knew all those things But still my boy is dead now
2: and there's nothing you can do about it My
1: boy is dead. Okay. Wow. Oh, it's still going. <laughs> I wanted
2: you to know that. Yeah. Oh, by right. the way, uh, Spielberg wants us to know that her boy is dead. Wow.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, that's
2: fucking terrible. And that's Spielberg, man. He wants he wants you to feel a certain way, and if you don't want to feel that way, you know, he basically says, "Go fuck yourself." Uh, hey, fuck you, Steven Spielberg. Fuck you. He does it in every one of his movies. And he can well, go fuck like- himself. I like to call it emotional
1: extortion. Uh, well, it's, it's not even
2: good. I understand trying to evoke a certain sensation to me. I understand that. It's part of art to evoke yeah. a sensation. But when you sit there and you say, I'm going to invoke this sensation, and I'm going to use this blunt instrument to beat the the viewer over the head to make sure they experience that emotion. And that's just what this is. It's a club over the head to make you sympathize or empathize with the woman. And I find it offensive who who gets affected by that only the s- morons well get affected
1: by that i mean come on I, you know steven spielberg is a director i believe that is uh, probably known mostly because he builds a big tent for his audience he gets everybody into the theater and We all know that there's some simple minded, um, I guess, hyper emotional that most of I guess most of the American viewing audiences maybe don't view film with a critical artistic eye. And that's not to i guess be uh, condescending maybe a little bit but he needs to get the folks in the theater and he needs to offer everybody something so my boy is dead so i wanted
2: you to know that he's dead he doesn't
1: deploy uh any kind of subtlety when it comes to garnering an emotional response I don't know. Uh, I'm just offended.
2: Every movie I see of his, I get offended by his ham-fistedness.
1: Well, and he- It drives he, me
2: fucking batty. It's too bad because he, he's got a lot of other- His filmmaking technique is pretty solid. He does action pretty nicely. He does. But this ham I just it just, boy, it just turns me off to him like nobody's-
1: Well, uses. and he definitely, I would say, overuses children uh, to that effect. Because, for whatever reason, they're much easier- to uh, propagate kind of an emotional tone in any kind of film, or at least uh, get create clap traps, which Steven Spielberg does ad infinitum in a lot of his. What films.
2: Do you, What do you mean by that clap traps exactly?
1: Well, clap trap. The true definition of a clap trap is something that. Uh, Exactly is is the literal def the literal words behind it clap trap. It get, it's a trap to get you to clap at something.
2: Oh, really? Know, yeah, I
1: never realized that. I don't know if it was a vaudeville word or where it came from, but it's something that uh, suckers you into going. Oh, you know. And i I guess this is one of the reasons I hate Pixar movies so much because they're loaded with clap traps. And I think Spielberg is in that vein. He is a clap trap enthusiast and uh, clap traps can be an emotional as well and he definitely uses children in that regard like I'm looking at some of his movies now and there's kids all over the place like Jurassic Park uh, E.T. Empire of the Sun was about uh, the child J.G. Ballard um, Indiana Jones uh, and the Temple of Doom with that little short round uh, short round you know close encounters with the little boy gets you know Uh, Oh, Schindler's
2: Lives with that fucking kid that had color on her. Fuck you! (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Artificial intelligence with that uh, dull-eyed kid. Oh
2: man, the last twenty minutes of that movie just destroy it. It's pretty decent Uh, up till then.
1: Minority Report with the whole uh, John Anderton's child uh, subplot. Uh, War of the Worlds with Dakota Fanning. I mean, it just goes on. There's just so much. Uh, yeah, you know, music. I was
2: really hoping that Spielberg, what, he said he was 20 when this made this film? 28, he was 28. 20, he was 28. I really, I was hoping, you know, maybe his stank's not going to be all over it.
0: <laughs> well, it and isn't, it really. It's, it's a not. shame.
2: No. It, it's all over the first half. Huh. I mean, the only thing all that right. makes it great is the, is the last half and Robert Shaw's performance. And, and Dreyfus and Schneider's performances are great, too. I mean, it really, basically, I like the film. But I just, God, I really wish I could cut. Some I shit think you out were.
1: I think well, okay. Uh, and that, that's that's a worthy criticism, but I still think you have a little bit of a uh, prejudice against Steven Spielberg for his later works. That's been
2: impressed on. Yeah, Josh. I guess I saw Echoes or whatever. The echoes, echoes in reverse time would be of his later work. The thing okay. that I, I like him least. He, he, it's not a huge part of this film, but it's there, and I guess it's gotten worse and worse as he's gone on. So I mean I enjoyed the film certainly I mean I don't know if it, it's one of my favorite films of all time but well you uh, just watched it, hit, it I mean, it's hit. hard to yeah. say uh, yeah. well
1: and the thing that it I think the reason it was so so much of an impact is that it really put the fear in people irrational fear in people and I think it's the reason we have like Discovery Channel Shark Week uh, mm. it's um, people who now it's a big thing is to, you know, they make these group shark cages and they drop you off of uh, the Cape of Good Hope or uh, Cape Town in South Africa. And you can see, you know, the, the great white sharks bump into the cage and cruise around you. I think they do it and mm-hmm. um, they also do it in, uh, I think, Baja, California. There's outfits that take folks down there to, you know, where the you go in whites. the cage,
2: the cage goes in the water, the sharks yeah. in the water. Right. I don't know. I don't <laughs> quite understand market.
1: that whole. Yeah, that make Okay, it's just a statement of fact on that one.
2: But, oh, uh, man, Quint is just a fucking great character. Every time character. he talks, I love him.
1: He is a good guy. I got to I
2: got to go see some more Robert Shaw, man, cuz he fucking rocks. That Apparently, Quint
1: guy. he was a drunk and tax evader during the film and had to leave periodically to go to Canada to avoid the tax man. I
2: guess for oh, filming. Oh, man, he is just he's just fucking awesome. Fucking awesome. This uh, so, film would just dig everything. So
1: that's why I think this film, like it freaked people out, and it freaked people out who are swimming in open water uh, that you don't know what's below. It's uh, like the word I, I used to describe maybe a little bit of that irrational fear, bathophobia, which is fear of the deep, mm. fear of yeah. what's underneath you, uh, that whole thing. And this movie hits that chord really intensely.
2: I guess there's some actually... Couple of really actually frightening moments in this film. Uh, probably one of the best one is when uh, Hooper's checking the the when they find that derelict boat. When they get drunk and go out looking for the shark, sort of midway in the film, uh, Brody and uh, Hooper, and they come across that uh, derelict boat. And yeah. uh, Hooper goes just does, does does some diving and checks out a big bite mark in the hole and that sort of bloated corpse comes out that's that's a pretty effective scene that was well, that was a good old jump scare that was and, solid
1: and that was put in on purpose because uh, there was the scare with roy scheider who was chumming and he looks away and then the shark comes out of the water mm-hmm. and spielberg was like i need another one of those and so he yeah. found an opportunity with that derelict boat to put the uh waterlogged corpse in the hole and freak uh the hooper character out you know, so I think that. Worked. Yeah, that was
2: that was great. Yeah, well, you know, there's something I never really thought about, but I love uh, Brody when he's out on the water. He's always got like the sort of clammy, wet face. Well, like he's, he's just about ready to throw up. It's he's just afraid great. of the
1: water. Well, he's afraid yeah, of it. And, and he he's,
2: he's gets motion sickness on the water.
1: And He gets motion sick. So he's your, uh, I guess maybe he's the majority of America sees the ocean through his eyes. You know, he, well, he, you know.
2: I never found people's fascination with going places you're they're probably not the best places to be spending your time like out on the water and up in mountains and stuff but just you know we were made to be a, like on relatively flat land around plants and stuff, and maybe you should just stick with that
1: well, yeah, but there's a curiosity and a fascination, and uh, it's one of the reasons I became a certified diver because uh, I it It kind of blew my mind that you could cruise around the bottom of the Puget Sound. We live in Seattle, and I learned to dive uh I guess in northern waters, which mm, I guess the best way to describe it is haunted house diving <laughs> it's <laughs> you, visibility no, cause it, cause, yeah visibility is cut down to maybe twenty thirty feet on a good day uh, i 've been in uh, water that I can maybe see five feet in and it definitely has a closeness and a claustrophobia that you don't get in tropical waters so it leaves a lot to the imagination and
2: do uh, do children do much diving scuba diving, diving diving's
1: you know but despite how safe it is it's kind of fucking dangerous
2: and so why why do we let kids go play in the ocean this just seems like a well, bad idea. It seems like it's a maybe an activity you should take which you can you know look at in the cold, hard light of understanding your old mortality as you grow up. Maybe you should well, be, maybe kids shouldn't go play in the fucking ocean well, it depends on you what wouldn't the let ocean. them climb a goddamn mountain
1: all right now there's a there's a world of difference between diving a hundred feet down in the Puget Sound and uh wading out into a sandy beach. And Martha's Vineyard, where it's like there's fucking five. sharks
2: out there, man. It's like, well, <laughs>
1: they'll
2: eat your hole right off your raft. There's,
1: uh, there's, there's, there's kidnappers and playgrounds. I, I don't know, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's statistics. Yeah, I, I,
2: I, I really don't care that much. I just, right.
1: uh, right. I, it's fine.
2: It's, it's fun. It's fun paddling around in some water. It's all right. I'm not. Really, I'm not. I'm just sort of uh, going off a little bit. I'm fine. I'm not for worried the about everyday? sharks. I don't okay. think people are really worried about sharks. I mean, I understand yeah. that some places have a lot of sharks, but is this something people really worry about when they go out swimming in the shallow water on the beach? In the summer
1: of two thousand one, I don't know if anybody remembers because that was right before nine eleven so everything kind of prior to that got got uh, uh, washed away uh, in the news cycle. But there was a lot of there, I guess there was reported a lot of reported shark attacks in Florida at the time in that summer. And there's something that it's a phenomenon. it's a statistical phenomena, but if you report on every single shark attack that happens over the world, it's going to seem like the sharks are crawling on land to kill us all. Uh, you elevate the awareness statistically. It's like if you reported on every single car accident that killed somebody in this country on the nightly news, it would seem like there's a plague like, some kind of weird phenomena going on that's killing everybody in car accidents.
2: But so, there is.
1: Well, yeah, but you don't report on it. So you still get in your car and you drive to work. And, well, because you, you have
2: you, no choice.
1: Well, you discard the risks. You don't think about it.
2: Well, the risks are worth what you get out of it, which is getting to work.
1: Yeah. Right. But, well, you, you if you don't, you know, we're anecdotal creatures at heart. It's kind of our tribal mind. And uh, we don't think statistically. We think anecdotally. And so every time somebody hears shark attack, they think Jaws. They think of your leg getting bitten off and sinking to the bottom of some lagoon in Martha's Vineyard. That's what they think of because that's what's raised their awareness. Uh, you know, they don't think of like your skull getting crushed in a horrible car accident because that hasn't been depicted anecdotally in such a way that makes it terrifying. You know,
2: they have obviously haven't been on Reddit. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> yeah not everybody can surf reddit for car accident pictures i'm sure
2: it's the only oh, way i can get boy. off any longer <laughs> wow
1: all right that's yeah. like uh well you laugh but have you seen the movie crash i have not seen
2: it? the the good the good crash not the crappy oh no no Oscar no the jg crash
1: the one that was uh adapted from the jg G. bauer novel where it's a bunch of car uh fetish car wreck fetishes <laughs> no, I
2: haven't seen that. That might be a make a good weird pick Yeah, That's a
1: weird-ass movie. Uh, anyway, so what was I talking about? Oh, the, oh, the, you're talking
2: about everybody just sort of ignoring the risk because they don't really think about it. Yeah. They don't pay attention to it.
1: Right. So uh, getting in the water. Anyway, um, you you were saying about- that we shouldn't go there because there's sharks in the water. I'm like, it's just a statistical, you know. There's so much things that wouldn't get you out of your house based on that kind of attitude you
2: know i know i've spent you ride a mo- riding. you're riding
1: a motorcycle to work jesus i wouldn't even do that that scares the it's shit fucking out dangerous
2: of me. man i think oh i think what did i think i was talking to my brother yesterday and i thought it was like you're 37 times more likely to be killed in a motor vehicle accident if you ride a motorcycle but i think it's actually 45 he was yeah like, it sounds about right 45 <laughs> times more likely
1: exactly so <laughs> I don't know. but, but i'm he, free
2: man i'm free the man can't keep me down
1: but, you know, if you get killed in a motorcycle accident, at least, at least it wouldn't be your your bad diet and lack of exercise that did it to you, you know, so.
2: Uh, yeah, you're right. Well, the funny thing is actually now that I've actually been – my health is getting better. So I think I had, to, I had to balance out my chance of dying since I've been getting more exercise and have lost a little weight. Yeah. I got to re-up my health risk by incorporating a new dangerous activity <laughs> into my life.
1: It's like my whole paradigm that uh, if civilization, the Earth, is is uh, basically uh, smoted. Is that a word? Smoted? Sure. The, the past of smite. Uh, then by an asteroid that kills everybody on Earth. I'm like, at least we didn't do it to ourselves. How embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like oh well there's this great civilization and they uh, were wiped out by an asteroid as opposed to um they pretty much uh they suffocated in their own pollution you know mm-hmm. that's that's a better it's less it's more noble i think to go out with the asteroid so you know i don't know anyway but yeah that would i guess you're 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 keeping your risk level at the It's a normal level. Just like we say we
2: all keep our stress level at the same level, no matter how much actual stressors we have in life. Yeah. Yeah. We just uh we just raise or lower the amount of stress we get from any particular situation to keep a nice homeostatic Mm -hmm. condition going for ourselves.
1: Well, Well I oh, I was just gonna go on about scuba diving being dangerous because I paid attention to like every diving accident. You know, and that would freak
2: me out. Oh yeah, and, so and, and what every year a couple of people dive over at that super easy diving area in Muckle Teo, right?
1: Uh, there's Muckle Teo, Edmonds, and then there's Alki. Yeah, people people uh, fuck up and die, and uh, it's a very you have a very uh, small window of opportunity to save yourself when things go wrong. And, uh, basically you got about five minutes and then you're fucking drowned. And so, so Keith,
2: isn't there like a thing where you can pull a rip cord and shoot right up to the surface? That's yeah. There's that?
1: things you can do where you drop your weights and you rock it to the surface, but then that brings on a whole other level of risk where if you hold your breath, which is the natural, natural response when you're out of air, uh, you can get what they call, I think it's a pulmonary edema which is basically Mm -hmm. the air expanding in your lungs and then explodes uh, you from the inside out, and then you hemorrhage and die. And so that's one thing that you train to overcome. Uh, Yeah, it's just there's all that shit, and it's kind of like I have anxiety issues anyway. And getting ready to go diving, like two days out, I would start getting a little bit nervous and a little bit freaked out. And uh, I figured that wasn't. But once I went diving, like everything kind of cleared away and I was really concentrated on the task at hand. But I, I don't know. There's just a lot of scary shit that can happen to you when you're diving. Some people are into that. I wasn't so much, so I haven't dove in a long time. But I've actually seen a shark underwater. So I'll, I'll say that that much. I was diving Did off the you punch the it in the
2: nose? Do you no, see its I, white I, eyes? I was, its black doll-like <laughs> eyes roll back, roll back white. <laughs>
1: No, it was extremely anticlimactic. I was diving off of Hawaii, off of the island of Kauai, and I was down about 70 feet. And uh, the dive master led us by this little lava cliff, and tucked into the cliff was a reef shark. And he he wasn't out swimming. He was just chilling. Uh, Contrary to popular belief, sharks don't die if they stop swimming. They just kind of, you know, they can sit there and let current sweep through their gills and be fine. Okay. Uh, so uh, he was sitting there and he just he just did not want to be fucked with. He was like, "Get the fuck away from me." And I looked at his Is mouth. He, was and, he looking at you? Uh, as much as a completely black eye can look at you. you
2: know? Oh, so they are really doll like.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, they have just, you know, they don't have any sort of features, at least uh, discernible features uh, mm-hmm. in their eyeballs. They have like these eyelids that come over you know these three layers of eyelids, or whatever it is, yeah like they got they like attack. a protective
2: eyelid when they bite. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah, uh, and then I looked at his mouth and he had like uh three fish hooks dangling out of his mouth, so really yeah, he was just like, "Fuck it, I'm done with you people, um, <laughs> just get the fuck away from me. I'm gonna go why would eat, you fish uh, for fish. sharks?
2: Are they good eating? no, you just you're just fishing for something else. And, oh, I see, and like, or or it it just bites your bait, or it takes whatever got on your line that you were actually fishing for, maybe.
1: Yeah, you didn't mean to catch a reef shark. You're just out there, like maybe uh, fishing for ahi or something, and then all of a sudden a reef shark bites into it, and you got to haul them up, and you're like, Jesus, it's a shark, and then you clip the line, and you and cut the they, line, yeah. Then they go fuck off and and try to avoid oh. you, you know, for
2: the rest of their, man. I their would their hate lives. hate to not have hands. <laughs> You can never get anything out of your mouth. At least if you got hands, you can pull that fucking hook out. But you got to live the rest of your life with a fucking hook.
1: Yeah. So yeah, like me, feel true. like those
2: birds—they get their heads cut caught through those little uh, uh, six-pack plastic ring things that you get cans of I, beer. I'm
1: in. so I'm so uh, what's the right word? I would say guilted about those six-pack ring things that I'll actually cut the inner. Inner loops as well as the outer loops.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I cut them too, but they, they disappeared from the market for a while, and now they're back. Yeah. Maybe they make them out of uh, uh, biodegradable plastic or something now. Uh, so I So they'll it. fall apart. Uh, I doubt it. I think it. people stopped caring, and they said, uh, we can save a half a penny every six-pack if we use these things. Right. And they went back right. to using them. Yeah. Well, Sounds yeah, sharks,
1: right. no hands, but they, uh, they seem to make, make do, although um sharks are incredibly endangered a lot of them and
2: uh oh yeah because people like their fins fucking chinese sons of bitches
1: yeah i you know that's I, I could go on about i could be i wouldn't call it racist what's culturally prejudice i, I don't we know we need that's, an
2: enemy we need a boogeyman i think we should well, make it the chinese
1: do they have to fucking eat everything come on i mean do you oh need well to we eaten? we
2: eat weird shit too but the know, shark fin but, is just fucking stupid I, I mean, heard the, I heard it doesn't it doesn't taste like much at all. It's I'm sure it doesn't. Good, people say it has no flavor.
1: Uh I can imagine. It's I mean haven't uh, come on. I thought Viagra would have How about eliminated bear bile? Well, Well, oh, no. Nah, don't get Jesus me started on that. Jesus fucking one. Christ. But I thought, Rhino penis. Well, I thought Viagra would have cured the Chinese businessman from buying stupid shit to get a Woody? Why are they grinding up fucking Rhino Horn and Tiger Paw and all this other stupid shit that they think will make them more virile? And do the Chinese need to be any more virile? Come on, they got like 1.5 billion of them walking around. I give up. I just kind of give up with that whole thing. It makes me, you know, that coupled with their pollution and the way they treat their people, I just, man, I could just, China's a shitty country. I I am sorry uh, to all our Chinese listeners all maybe two or three of them in the eavesdroppers of the PLA. But I, I just man, I have no incentive to go there. I think it's a shitty country. Uh they got a lot of kinks to work out. Sorry, going around rant there, but anyway. Yeah. Stop well, eating getting... fucking shark fin for fuck's sake.
2: Oh, I think uh I think all of humanity is sort of guilty. Stop eating the rest of the world. Humanity. <laughs> All right, let's talk more about
1: the movie. I, you know, I, I wanted to sort of talk about uh, the interplay of the three characters there at uh, at the, the the fish hunt scene. And, yeah, the best part of the movie. And the best part of the movie. And what I was kind of focusing on for this viewing was sort of the uh, Ivy League rich boy kind of interplay. Between Dreyfus and the old salt working class Robert Shaw character, which I kind of found interesting. I, I thought it was yeah. Subtle. The way they
2: they even put him in the same clothes at certain points. They're really the same person that they sort of arrived at the same place from different starting points. It's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know you have that scene that kind of the horror scene, but uh, uh, Hooper's out in his you know, pimped out oceanographic boat with like fucking dive lights underneath the the bottom and radar and you know, all that groovy shit on it and it's his and it's because he's like independently wealthy um and he's found an academic pursuit that fits his I guess life outlook and all that. But then there's this secret pining to be an every guy. Uh you know, to to be scarred up and um you know, to have- I don't think it's a
2: secret pining. I think it's part of his personality. You really think he's trying to fit in when when he and uh Quint are trading war runes? I think they're really um, I think they're really almost the same character. They like sea shanties. They like their stories, their fish stories. I mean I just I don't think it's I don't think it's Hooper trying to be something he's not. I just think they're both sort of the same person, even though they have bi- they have greatly varied backgrounds.
1: Well, it's interesting. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's like a uh, what would you call it? A working class slumming that he's doing. Yeah, he's not
2: affecting some sort of behaviors. I think both Quint and Hooper are un unflinchingly uh, honest about who they are. They don't give a shit. They don't fucking care what you think. They are who they are. They're their own men. They just happen to sort of be the same person.
1: Well. Yeah, but it's interesting because uh, Hooper has an intolerance that the, the line is clearly drawn. And it's for what I would call the irrational bravado of the working class persona, which is, uh, <laughs> I call it like redneck bullshit. And you get a lot of it when they're out. You know, you have all those captains out on or all those fishermen out on the – out on the water and they're like fucking throwing m80s into the water and uh nearly running each other over and overloaded and everything like that uh because quint has some of that he has a lot of that actually i
2: don't know i mean i i I wouldn't I i don't know if i'd say that i can't quint i think while he he likes to be dismissive and belittle people I think most of his actions are not about bravado; they're just about using his experience. There seems to be a lot of economy in what he does. He's well, not out there running around with like a chicken with his head cut off. He's everything he does seems very measured. I, no, I just no. don't see that.
1: Oh no, no, he he has completely irrational moments on the boat, like he bashes well, he has in little... the VHF radio. I mean, come hmm. on, what the fuck? I are you don't doing? think
2: that's ir- I don't think that's irrational. He he wants to kill he wants to kill that shark. And he doesn't want anybody else fucking with that. I mean, I think it seems like a very calculated move to me. He really? wants that shark dead. And he doesn't care if Brody and Hooper even himself might die in the process. He's, he has a singular focus. And I think that singular focus is that what I see in both he and Hooper. You, you see what I mean? <laughs>
1: yeah. They don't
2: enough. mind taking great risk. But it's not, it's not just getting drunk and fucking around. They have a goal. They have a clear purpose that they're working towards at all times.
1: Uh, Even overheating the boat and basically, I mean, there's that moment there, that impotent moment where Hooper's on the bridge and uh, Quint's just running the boat. into. Yeah, he's uh, destroying the motor. Yeah, and and I don't, like, he's sitting there and he's like, well, they both want to kill the shark or they want to, you know, but there's there's, uh, two paradigms at work one is a more scientific thought-out strategic paradigm Hooper yeah, wants super. to kill
2: it and then take a good long look at the and uh Quint just wants his he's he's captain ahab basically
1: well he's captain ahab and of course they get the ahab scene where he uh you know, gets drugged under the the ocean yeah. by the Leviathan. I forget how it's done in Moby Dick. Like, I think he's like uh, gets entangled in the rope, and then uh, Moby Dick drowns him or something. I, I don't so,
2: know. I mean, I guess you're right. Yeah, there's there's more of a insanity to Quint, but I don't know if I'd call it like a redneck bravado. I see it more as he's just mad. He's blinded by anger.
1: Well, he's well. That's isn't that redneck bullshit. I mean, isn't that what that is? Isn't uh, that like is, this is uh, really
2: more. This anger is more elegant. I think it's more poetic. He hates them. It's not that he's just a dipshit. He fucking hates sharks. He well, hates them with all his soul. And it's beautiful. That hatred the, is just beautiful.
1: Which goes to the monologue. What's the monologue? The Indianapolis monologue that he gives. Oh, that is
2: fucking awesome. It's fucking awesome.
1: Do you know who wrote that dialogue, by the way?
2: I don't know. Somebody was in the goddamn water. Uh, That's a true John, story, right?
1: John Millius, John. Really? Milius, uh, well, he he used survivor uh, testimony, testimony. What do you call that one? Or uh, I don't know, reha uh, stories. He used survivor stories in Indianapolis to create that monologue. But it was written by John Millius, who directed Conan the Barbarian. Oh, uh,
2: John Millius! I like how these names come up over and over yeah, again. So it I has like that John nice Milius.
1: kind of savage spirit. To it, you know that uh, that that sort of I don't know, kind of visceral tone. That, I love the uh, numbers.
2: I love the numbers. So many people went into the water, and so many came out, and the sharks yeah. got the rest. It's got like sort of a meh, sort of an actuarial. Uh, there's a term that uh, I watched Master and Commander the other day. It was on TV, and uh, they use a term, the Butcher's Bill.
1: The Butcher's Bill. Interesting. Yeah.
2: I right. I I for uh for the you know uh uh the losses, the injuries and deaths from a, a battle they have. I just so, I, there's something about violence when you take violence and you just put numbers on it. It just I don't know, it's just fascinating. I love just numbers surrounding violence and death. You know, you so, can just take math and apply it to horror. It's just beautiful. <laughs>
1: 1100 people went into the water and 300 and some came out or something like that. So uh, you had a significant chunk of the crew being consumed by shark and yeah. dying as a result of shark attack. Uh, Rose was a little perturbed when, uh, uh, who Brody, wrote on the accident report that the swimmer was killed by shark attack. She was like, We're not killed by a shark attack, but exsanguination due to the shark attack was the true cause of death of that. So you know, if you're maybe had your leg bitten off in the south pacific um, you probably bleed out and die that way from the shark attack that's probably how you die. That's a
2: great that's a great word exsanguination I like it.
1: Yeah, and then it's a it's a feedback mechanism so once one shark takes a nibble and takes a chunk off you the blood flows out and then it's just stink on shit and then uh draws more sharks until you're more or less uh, a bobbing head in the ocean.
2: Yeah, yeah, I like I like how quit describes that feeding frenzy in his in his monologue about the Indianapolis. It's really nice. Uh,
1: I I was watching somewhere that and I they love were the songs.
2: About, how do you like the songs?
1: That, I got a little uh, tired. Of the, really, I, I love the, the, the songs. It the reminds of me of Spain.
2: That's one of the, my favorite parts of uh, Lord of the Rings. All the song stuff.
1: It was one. Actually. It was one song. He was only singing one song through that whole thing. It's Like the oh, ladies really, Spain it was all the same something.
2: song. I yeah. thought they mixed another one in there. I, I, I something, so. something, something I like about that. I don't yeah. know. Something about
1: song. Uh, there is a way. I was watching something, too. Uh, it's like a shark prevention shelter if you're in the water. And it's uh, basically the whole gist is to wrap yourself in a plastic bag. like uh, Like put your life jacket on and then put a garbage sack over your entire body, which keeps the scent away. And then it also keeps your profile from looking like a uh sea mammal or prey of a great white that it somehow uh, keeps the sharks from poking at you so next time kids if you're out on the ocean grab yourself a garbage sack and crawl in it when the boat sinks and you're worried. Or just
2: stay the fuck out of the goddamn water. Or like you can a, do what Mark does. Like the stay the fuck person. out of water
1: and drive <laughs> your motorcycle down I-5 at top speed.
2: It's perfectly it's safe. There's not a bunch of <laughs> sleepy, angry drivers out there. Hold it. That's what I normally am when I'm in my car. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm, uh, like, checking my phone and uh, having a slice of uh, pizza. Yeah. Uh,
1: wow. Well, so, yeah, that interplay between Quint and Hooper, I think, was subtle, which is rare in a Spielberg film. But I liked it. I liked the whole where oh. they were coming from in life. And uh, I thought yeah. Hooper was especially interesting because there seems to be, I don't know, there's people who are products of privilege uh, who really dislike, I guess, that that position in life. Because he gives Quint shit about the working class. Don't give me that working class bullshit you know, when they're talking about, I forget what, but, uh, yeah, uh, people who, uh, are aware of their station in life and, uh, you know, try to make, try to make better characters of themselves than just, uh, the privilege, you know, I don't know if I'm making sense.
2: No, 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 no. You know, Hooper had a love and a, and a, a passion and, uh, and he lived his passion. And you got to respect people that. Well, do that. it reminds just me like of. looks like you respect Quint. His passion was he hated fucking sharks and he lived it. Yeah.
1: Well, it reminds me. respect uh, it. Hooper reminds me of the, uh, I guess, the aristocratic mathematicians of the Enlightenment.
2: Like Lord Kelvin or something.
1: Yeah. People who had, like, they could just fuck off because they were loaded, but had a passion for something hard or difficult. Like
2: well, almost all of the great scientists of antiquity were that, because those are the only people that had the means and the time, yeah, to pursue the and the occasional person that would buddy up to one of these great patrons.
1: So that's what rem, that's what Hooper reminded me of, and that's why I think he was the most likable character in the film, at least for me. Uh, I yeah, I no, thought, he was
2: he was a great character. Yeah.
1: I thought Brody was weak willed. Uh, he obviously didn't have a courage of conviction. Uh, maybe it was eclipsed by his phobias uh Quint, you like Quint's a great character but man i wouldn't like to hang out with him that much i'll tell you how much <laughs> he'd be good in a bar but then i'd want to go home and never see him again that's kind of my opinion
2: probably but i loved his character i think that brody's left to be a little bit of a blank slate i think he's meant uh for the viewer to inhabit and see through the movie through his eyes because it is told through his eyes he's left a little bit of a he's there's some space left in that character for you to bring yourself I think with yeah, Brody. He's I think that's your, intentional.
1: He's your ambassador, avatar. Yeah, yeah. To the movie, which uh, Absolutely. so uh, you didn't like the first half, all the horror movie victims dying, well, beach I, politics. I,
2: I, I wasn't. I mean, it just it was just sort of simplistic. The the swarm, the smarmy uh, 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 mayor of the town. I mean, it was okay. There were some nice. There were some neat moments in that, but. Uh, you know, I don't know. It was okay. All the fucking kids and stuff. It was a little too much. It had too much of the stink <laughs> of Spielberg on it. Uh, but I uh, did that's like the okay. mayor
1: suit. The mayor's suit had little anchors all over it. And I thought that was
2: pretty Oh, yeah. Bright. He had a couple of loud sport coats he'd wear around. It was sort of a neat character. I
1: mean, yeah. it was all
2: right. It was all right. But generally, the movie's pretty good, especially on the backs of those two characters. Of uh, agreed. And, or and uh,
1: it taps. I I grew up on on a sailboat well, I didn't literally grow up on a sailboat my parents had a sailboat and we were on it all on on it every summer uh and there were moments like where we would be anchored at harbor you know up in the San Juan Islands and uh that moment when they're all sharing stories and the shark rams into the side of the boat and it starts leaking and stuff I man as a kid that stuff's just so vivid uh, it took me. I remember sleeping on the boat. It took me a long time. That would be the last thought in my mind as I'd fall asleep on the boat. Would be thinking about something fucking running into the side of your of, of your sailboat and sinking it. You know. Oh yeah,
2: that'd be scary. Uh, it was good times. Uh, so uh, I didn't see if uh, Ebert reviewed this, but I'd be hard pressed to think he did it. So I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> reviewed this film in 1975 when it came out, and he has a, a generally positive review giving it a full four stars, which is his highest score, right? Yes, though he doesn't um, he doesn't really it doesn't seem like a real in-depth review. I think he just enjoyed it. and let's just read a few things. He says, um, the movie is uh, a sensationally effective action pic- picture. And he says it works all the better because it's populated with characters that have been developed as human beings. We get to know and care about basically the trifecta of the of the main characters there that we've talked about at length. He says uh, none of the characters has to wade through speeches expounding the significance of all the movies. So he says he he's saying that Spielberg has sort of a, he plays a sly hand with not pointing out. You know, the man versus nature elements of the film heavy handedly. Right. He, he just lets the film develop itself. And I have to agree with that. And he says that Spielberg is very good at presenting those characters in a way that makes them individuals. And I, I think we've talked about that at length with uh, the main three characters, especially yeah. the two characters of Quentin Hooper. Uh, not so much the peripheral characters, which I think are pretty cardboard cut cutouty.
1: Mm, yeah, there's not much to them. You. They don't get a lot of time anyway. Yeah, so, so
2: And, and we spend a lot of time with these peripheral characters in the first half, and I think it's a little weak, and I think that uh, Ebert doesn't talk about that. See, he focuses on the second half of the movie in his review, and I think there's a good reason for that, because the first half's not nearly as strong as the second half. Right. um he says that, uh, and then he talks about the characters, and he ta- mentions something about Brody, which he says is the person we should identify with, which, which we concurred. Um, but he mentions something about Brody that's pretty interesting, is that he came to uh, Amity Island to get away from the dangers of the city and his own fear about that. He actually talks about it briefly, how dangerous the city well, is. Well,
1: he also thinks that he can fix whatever crime problem or whatever problem this little island may have because it's finite. Unlike New York City, which is yeah. vast and continuing, you know, crime wise.
2: But it's interesting that he's a man that's running away from his fears, yet he has no but, but otherwise, but unfortunately, he ends up confronting his greatest fear. Well, movie, he's a
1: he's yeah, he's a classic fish out of water.
2: Just, and you know, he's also for unintended. being a copy. He's a coward to a certain extent. Yeah. To get out in yeah. the water, he has to get drunk right. uh, the first time. I mean, he has to right. get bliss. He's out on there. He's drinking wine straight out of the bottle. We see him. He's yeah. loaded.
1: Don't drink and boat.
2: Just don't yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in a way, he's a coward that's forced to to face his fear, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I think it and adds he, more depth to the character than maybe we gave credit to him. And
1: he kills the shark at the end. Which
2: yeah. is is I guess in a totally get to get to legitimate that. way. That's exactly what happened if you <laughs> no. shot a uh, compressed tank. Oh man!
1: I, yeah, I, I I would never uh, unless it's filled with propane. I don't think man. you're going to get that. And that's so. a, that's
2: now that's another um, um, Mythbusters Mythbusters. Thing. It doesn't explode. No, they don't. They don't fail spectacularly like that. They not only, unless you you put a hole in it, air will come out of that hole. It will not explode. Yeah.
1: Unless you're of course breathing pure propane and then it'll explode like that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Which most divers breathe, right?
1: Oh yeah, I do. It's good for
2: you. <laughs> 100%. Uh let's see, what else he says? He says that Quint is a caricature of a crusty old seafaring salt, which I can't
1: agree with that. No, he's not a caricature uh, means he's not really, he's just an extrapolation. Yeah, he goes,
2: These characters are great and they're they're really individuals and then and then, and then the he next dismisses it and calls them a caricature. <laughs> that was pretty weird. <laughs> um <laughs> And then he talks about Hooper. That uh, Hooper knows what a shark can do, yet he still gets in the water with them, which I think is a, an important part of Hooper's character. He says all three performances are really fine, and he says that Quint, again saying he's a character, is stomping around like a cross between Captain Quag and uh, Captain Hook. Where's Captain Quag from?
1: Did he mean Captain? Ahab? Did he mean Captain uh, Ahab? And maybe he doesn't Quint use Ahab in here. Like a.
2: Was Quig the first mate or well, something? I mean,
1: Captain Quig. What is that from? Is that an, an actual captain? Now i got to look it up. Yeah, let's well, look it up, and I, I'll I continue reading. Quig. All right.
2: And uh, he also says, you can look it up, uh, that uh, he he compliments the compelling five-minute monologue about the time on the Indianapolis, which we know now know that. Uh, who wrote that? Milius. Very nice. Um, Milius, yeah. All right. He says uh, that the Richard Dreyfus casting is inspired, which I think is pretty good because early in his career, it was really the right cast. Casting is great for those three guys; absolutely perfect. I have to agree with him. And, and he talks uh, right at the end briefly about the shark and the special effects. He says the illusion is complete, which maybe from a nineteen seventy five viewpoint. Yeah. As good
1: as it could get. yeah.
2: Uh, he says, in general, summing things up, this movie a clean cut adventure. Without the gratuitous violence of so many action pictures, but there was a fair mm. amount of gory in this movie. Wasn't <laughs> Pretty gory, there? yeah. I mean, there's those shots of actual, uh, uh, where over-the-shoulder shots of a medical book, yeah, uh, showing scars mad. and damage. I thought it was. I thought it was very. I thought it was appropriately gory. I didn't think it pulled his punch there. Um, he says it has the necessary amount of blood and guts to work, but none extra. Mm. I, uh, I think that's right. And he sums it up that it's one hell of a good story. All right. I have to agree with uh, that.
1: Captain Queeg was the character in the Kane Mutiny FYI. Okay.
2: I'm not okay. familiar with that.
1: Yeah, it's a straightforward review.
2: No uh, Ahab? He doesn't call him Ahab?
1: I know. I know. That yeah. seems the most logical one, right? Yeah. 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 It seems like that sort of hits you over the head, <laughs> yeah.
2: especially at the end, where this he goes nuts and damn everybody else. He's going to get his white whale or his great so, white shark.
1: Uh, Peter Benchley wrote this novel before it was adapted into a screenplay. Oh,
2: I didn't know it was an adapted it, screenplay. Uh,
1: Peter Benchley, uh, he he was kind of big in the 70s, but uh, he said that uh, if he would have been educated more about shark behavior, he would have never written Jaws because the behavior that Jaws exhibits is not the behavior of any, any real shark. Uh, the shark would have to be literally... Uh, moby dick the white whale to behave as it did because um it's not a vengeful creature it's not even a creature with that level of uh depth no pun intended it's just a it's just a killing and eating machine and so why would it like fuck around with a boat where there's absolutely no opportunity uh, easy opportunity for a meal uh, other than to sink the boat and eat what's on it but that would assume that it knew what was on a boat and boats to sharks aren't tangible things. So, uh, this is, yeah. but
2: this is a bad fish. Yeah, it's it's a bad, bad fish. It's,
1: it's crazy. It's psycho. Yeah. Uh, Peter yeah, Benchley also wrote a few other novels that were adapted into film. Uh, one of them was the deep, which, uh, I don't recall seeing, I may have seen bits of, and then there was a, another movie that I, th- that I really like starring, Michael Caine called The Island, and I don't know if you're familiar. It was a Peter Benchley uh, novel, and it was basically set in the Caribbean, but it was basically a modern-day pirate story. So there was this isolated island of pirates who – they're kind of like Somali pirates now. They would go out and take over cruise ships and stuff like that. But they were descended from original pirate colony. Uh, from the seventeen, eighteen hundreds, and so they spoke this weird pigeon. And uh, David Warner was the head pirate. It's a great movie. It's really good, so I recommend hmm. it. Anyway, hmm. If you can no find now. it, I think I, last time I saw it, I had to uh, procure it through illicit means to see it because I don't think. Well, it's I can always, DVD. I
2: can always go to uh, Scarecrow. They always Scarecrow.
1: have it. Yeah. So, any more thoughts on Jaws?
2: No, no. I think I think we both uh, concurred that it was a good story, well told. Yeah. Especially the second half. Uh, Um, What do we got uh, lined up for next week?
1: We're going to do a cult classic, an official cult classic, a Latter-day cult classic, which is Office Space.
2: uh, Finally doing a a Judge film. I think this is a good
1: move. Which I always liked. I mean, I've seen Office Space so many times, but uh, it'll be fun to watch it continuously through, unedited again. Uh, But I call Office Space a modern existential classic. And I mean that in the most sincere terms. Huh, uh, it's, well, definitely, it. it's definitely a movie uh, besides its gags and jokes. Uh, it has a lot more depth to it than I think people realize. Uh, fucking A. So, <laughs> fucking A. <laughs> and the characters, while well, well, I guess are ext- maybe caricatures, as we were saying, um, really, I think, is Mike Judge's most effective uh I don't know what's the right word most effective tool is is to to use those caricatures of of people that we know and they're not uh, I guess in an observational way like you can cast characters in this movie into people that you grew up with and people you know uh, who may not be well, outrageous themselves but you can it's like oh I know a guy just like that. The the
2: great thing about caricatures, and people sort of dismiss them as lies, but the truth is, the great thing about caricatures is the truth about them. That's what makes caricatures great.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, I love Office Space, and uh, we're going to review that next week. And uh, until then.
2: Can we go home now?